chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land, in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now from the first chapter of Romans, verses 1 through 7. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We finish uh, this morning our Advent series, which has looked at the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The overarching theme has been disappointment with God. And we have looked at the ways that those people in Jesus' own family tree faced deep disappointments and crises and at times uh, wondering whether God was going to fulfill his promises for them. And yet through all of that brokenness, God was working his purpose out. And, And what I hope that has come through as we've studied this is that God was not working his purpose out in spite of all of that. He was working his purpose out through it. The people that were living then 
profoundly disappointed. The case of the great patriarchs, Abram and David, as we looked at them, wondering if God was ever going to do what he'd promised to do for them. Uh, or in the case of those women of the genealogy who went through so very much and must have wondered, can anything good possibly come from a life as broken as mine? And who died without seeing yet what God was doing through them. To those broken nations under the likes of Hezekiah and Manasseh, whom we looked at last week, and the deep and profound sense that God had let his people go and they're just going to be carried off in captivity and who knows if they'll ever be again redeemed. In all of these places, God was not playing catch up with all the mistakes. I, I sometimes think we read it that way and teach it that way as though God gave us this opportunity, but we blew it, and so God had to come in again and rescue this situation. No. Everything that we are seeing in this family tree is exactly the way that God had ordained that he would bring salvation to us. In your broken life and my broken life, the places where we may think that God has forgotten us or is so unutterably disappointed in us that he would never again use us. In those very places which he saw before time, he is working something beautiful for his glory and for your good and for my good and for the good of those around us. I read recently a friend wrote, he was quoting someone, I'm sorry, I don't remember, who he was quoting, and it was stated more beautifully than this, but basically this friend who was coming through a very difficult time said, if we could see from God's perspective all of the reasons that he often says no to our prayers, we would be so grateful that he said no because he's working his purpose out. And so we come to the great girl, and I say that not to diminish women, but because she was almost certainly still just a young girl, uh, this great figure of Mary. Uh, in reaction to the medieval church having raised Mary to be a mediatrix between God and man, I think that those of us coming from the Reformation have not honored Mary the way that the Bible honors her. The Bible says, blessed are you among women. Jesus wanted his mother to be, I want my mother to be honored for Pete's sake. This was the one, the chosen vessel through whom God brought at last the Savior through whom God himself came into our world and joined himself to us forever. So remember that as we read, this in Matthew is a somewhat diminished telling. It focuses a little more on Joseph, uh, but most of us know this story more from Luke chapter one 
And as we look at it, I'll be telling it more from Luke's perspective until we get to Joseph. This is chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Want us to think first of Mary, secondly of Joseph, and finally of ourselves today. Consider Mary. She would have almost certainly been a girl in her early teens because young women, not only in Israel but throughout the ancient world, were betrothed as soon as they were just reaching the point where they could give birth to a child. And Mary lived, as we know, in a patriarchal society where a woman's value was measured by whether or not she bore her family, children, particularly male children. Men owned everything, including, frankly, their women. And it was terribly difficult for an unmarried woman to survive. She had to basically stay in her father's home or in a brother's home. And even a married woman, if she could not have children, was looked down upon as having somehow incurred God's displeasure in spite of all the stories they had of their greatest women who went through, most of whom went through long stretches of infertility. And yet that's the reason that over and over again in the Bible, there's this crisis for women who have married but can't have a child because that was what they, that was the one thing expected of them. It was a hard place and a hard life. And that was what gave a woman value and brought her honor if she could just bring children, particularly male children, who would keep the family together and carry on the name. So Mary, probably 13 or 14 years of age, is just a girl, but she's dreaming of the day that's coming. Her parents have made for her a good match with a good man, also from a good family. And he has a job, and it's an honorable job. He was a carpenter, and so she knows that he'll be able to take good care of her. And so she's, she's dreaming of the day that 
and I'm sure with some fear of all that's involved for just a, a young girl. Will he be tender with me? Will he care for me? Will he continue to love me? Will I have children? Lord, let me have children. And meanwhile, as a good, godly Israelite woman, she's praying faithfully for God to restore the kingdom. Every day when she goes to market, she sees the Roman soldiers, she sees the tax collectors, she sees the emblems of Rome's supremacy over her people, and like all faithful Israelites, she is constantly praying, Lord, please send Messiah, free us, set us free, fulfill your promises. Little knowing how God is going to fulfill her prayers. That's Mary dreaming, as every young woman then would have dreamt. And then, as Luke tells us, here Matthew simply says, she was found to be with child uh, before she had known her husband. But we're told in the story that's so familiar to all of us in Luke chapter 1 that as she is preparing for what she most desires, an angel appears. Angelos, that Greek word that we translate as angel, simply means messenger. And the ang the, this angelos, Gabriel, is a messenger from the very presence of God, radiant and glorious. People sometimes say, you know, I just wish that I could get a word like that. Boy, I'll tell you, in the Bible, when angels showed up, people didn't say, I'm so glad you're here. Could I, I mean, they were on their faces like dead people, terrified when the veil was for a moment pulled back. We say we believe all those things, but I'm not sure any of us particularly want to see behind the veil just yet. And so this terrifying messenger from the Lord comes to her and says, Hail, you who are highly favored by God. Highly favored. What does this mean? She would have been bowed down, probably on her face, in terror. And then he gives her the news. Your prayers have been answered. God has heard the cry of his people's heart. And now is the moment he's going to send his Savior. He's going to send his Savior through you. But Joseph won't be the father. God himself will be the father. And Mary asks, not with cynicism, the way that her cousin Zechariah had asked, you know, why should I believe this? I'm an old man. No, she's simply saying, I'm, I'm not married yet. I'm still a virgin. Uh, how's this going to happen? And the angel says, this is a work that God is going to do by the power of his spirit. The power of God will come upon you, his spirit. And this child will be the son of God. You'll call his name Yeshua, Joshua, which in the New Testament Greek becomes 
Jesus. It's the name Joshua. It's the name that means Savior. And what does this young girl say who's just had this burden placed on her? Remember, as I said weeks ago in introducing this series, it's easy for us to forget this girl now had to go by herself first to her parents and say, I am pregnant, but not to worry. God is the father. <laughs> I mean, really, it just if, they, if she weren't stoned to death for immorality, she would be stoned to death for blasphemy. This was, I can't imagine the burden that was placed on her. And as she is trying to absorb this, what is her response? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. This, I mean, right there, right there we see why God chose her to be Jesus' mother. This incredibly courageous and faithful young girl responding to the hardest word that could be given by saying, I'm in your hands. You compare that to what we saw with Hezekiah when he cries and says, oh, please extend my life, make it easier, and then I don't care what happens after I'm gone. Mary, let it be to me as you've said. And by the time Jesus was born and they took him to the temple, as you know, the prophet there would say to her, you know, he said, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy glory. But he says to her, a sword will pierce your soul. This is going to cost you so much more than you can yet even imagine. And she would see him wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the, the chastisement, the punishment that we deserve put on him so that with his wounds we could be healed. Don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with the beautiful poem by Lucy Shaw entitled Mary's Song. It's my favorite Christmas poem. And she so deeply and profoundly pulls all this together. The final stanza says, blind, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn. But for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. That was Mary's gift to all of us. What about Joseph? Think about him for a minute. Joseph, so grateful that his parents have made this good match with a lovely young woman who's known for her purity, her love of the Lord. And we just can imagine how he was looking forward to this moment when he would at last be able to claim her as his wife and begin life together and how he was praying for God to grant them little Josephs who would 
work with him and whom he could train up to be carpenters and good, strong men of Israel. And little Marys who would carry on, help their mother, and hopefully he'd be able to help to make good marriages and, and grow to be leading women in Israel. And he, meanwhile, like every Israelite, was seeing the Romans and the tax collectors and feeling the oppression and saying, oh, Lord, will you send your Messiah? You promised so long ago that you would restore the throne of David. Send your Messiah, I pray. And then someone sends him word, probably his parents, saying, we have terrible news. Mary is pregnant. Just imagine the crushing disappointment, the embarrassment, the humiliation. Here, everything I thought about her was obviously wrong, and I thought she wanted to be with me, and now, instead, she's been with someone else. And that whole beautiful, pure reputation is obviously torn to pieces, and the thing that he had the right to do to uphold himself was to go before the elders and let them know that he'd had no part in this and they'd have to investigate, find out who the man was, but he had not, he was not guilty here. Save his reputation. But we read that instead, because he was a just man, a good man, and didn't want her hurt more deeply than he realized she would already be hurt by what had happened. He resolved just to break this engagement quietly and try insofar as he could help to keep her out of the public eye. We see again why God chose him to raise his son, to teach him what it meant to be a man, a tender, strong, faithful, good man. And so as he's pondering exactly what to do, angel appears to him just as terrifyingly as I'm sure the angel appeared to Mary and says, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for this, this is from the Lord. The child that she's carrying is from the Lord. And so Joseph obeys. He simply obeys and marries her knowing full well that people will always tell stories behind their back about the fact that, you know, this Mary that everybody thinks is so upstanding, let me tell you, I lived in that same town and I can tell you, she was pregnant when they got married and Joseph was a big enough idiot to go ahead and marry. And that, that oldest child that he... Joseph's raising up to be a carpenter. He's not Joseph's son. I don't know whose son he is, but he's not Joseph's. But we know that this was what was said because there were times in the Gospels when his, those standing against him would say, who is this carpenter, this son of Mary? To call a man Ben Mary rather than Ben Joseph was to say, He's illegitimate. And so they bore this so that you and I might be saved, so that God's Son might come to this world 
when you and I pray for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come, do we ever stop and imagine just what he may be asking of us? And I know that the times when he has used me most greatly have been the times I would least have ever chosen because God works his deepest work in the broken places of our lives to show that the power is not from us but from him, that it's his doing. And wherever right now you may be in a family crisis, a physical crisis, an emotional crisis, thinking that God's hand is far from you and that he's forgotten about you, I would tell you to look up and realize that this is the very point where he wants to do his deepest work in you. I don't know if I've shared this story uh, with you, but I was so moved. I, a lot of us know who Stephen Colbert is, the uh, uh, comic and social commentator, uh, very bright guy, very cynical, very sarcastic. I had no idea that he was a Christian. That would have been, I mean, I never would have guessed that. But I heard him interviewed a few years ago, and someone said to him, what, as you look back on your life, you know, what are the most significant things in your life to change you? And he said, the thing that I most cherish is the one thing that I most wish had never happened. I said, what? He said when I was, I think he was 10 years old, his father and several of his siblings were killed in an airplane crash. And he said, my mother said to me, now God will be your father and Jesus will be your brother. And I saw him once on Bill Maher's show where Maher was going after Christians and Colbert kind of slapped his hand down and cussed at him and said, I teach middle school Sunday school, so get off my back. Now, my point isn't told up Stephen Colbert, but it's that incredible insight that he had. The thing that I most cherish, I most wish had never happened. Why? Because it was through that that God brought him to himself. Do you have any idea how much the Lord loves you? Or have you just been beaten down, being told you're a sinner, and, you know, if God happens to turn and smile on you? The message of the Bible is of God's love for broken sinners like you and me. Our sin, our rebellion is not a surprise to God. He didn't go, you know, I thought that they were going to be obedient. Now I've got to come up with plan B. How are we going to rescue this thing? God created who knows how many other 
stories there are out there. We're told Paul says that so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be revealed to principalities and powers in the heavenly places. God's a creator. He's made who knows what universes, who knows what their stories have been. But we know that he made ours for his glory and our good. And that he is love. And that this season is all about his desire to make you something beautiful for him. Through the most painful and broken things as we learn to say, this terrifies me. This is the end of my dreams. But I am your servant. Let it be to me as you have said. Father, thank you. That's such a weak (laughs) word. And yet, in all of its deepest meaning. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you that you are able to take us, not as we wish we were, but as we are. We come to you broken, hurting, and you embrace us. You fill us with your spirit and We don't just find that now you're ready to work in us and through us. You've been doing it all the while. You have been bringing salvation. Let us be those who recognize it and rejoice in it. Get glory through us. And may Jesus Christ afresh be born in us by the power of your Spirit. Amen.